So we're in the middle of a series that we're calling Billboard Top 10. And what we're doing is we're taking a look at 10 verses over the next 10 weeks. And these are verses that people say are their favorite verses. These are verses that people like to quote or like to memorize. Uh, These are verses that people put on t-shirts or on coffee mugs or tattoo on their arm. And what we want to do in this series is for some of those verses, we want to get a fresh look at them and just be refreshed by the, the richness of those verses. And then for some of them, we might need to take a look at them and say, hey, maybe we're not looking at this the way we need to be and kind of correct some of our thinking. And you know what? I said this before, but you know, when you have a top 10 list, when you make a top 10 list, there's always going to be someone who's not happy. I mean, some of you might get to a point where you're listening to a verse that we're talking about, and you're like, I'm not really sure how that made the list. I don't know who was part of the selection committee, but they are wrong. Or you might get to the end of the series and like, how did this verse not make the top? How in the world didn't you put this on the top 10? And guys, I want you to know that if you have those concerns, if you have those complaints, uh, I just want you to know again, uh, email Charles. I mean, he's the caring pastor. He's got a heart. Go ahead and email him uh, and uh, let him know that. Today we're going to be looking at Joshua 24, 15. And this verse is, is, is a really cool verse, and, and I've seen this verse on little plaques are framed as I've entered into different people's houses from time to time. And, and I've seen this verse stitched onto pillows and put on couches. I've even seen dads wear this verse on t-shirts around Father's Day. Well, that's not why I want to talk about this verse. I want to talk about this verse because it was my grandfather's favorite verse. See, my grandfather was a pastor in Puerto Rico and Growing up, this was his life verse. He had this verse all over his office. He had this verse all over his house. In fact, when he died when I was a freshman in high school, we went to Puerto Rico to help my grandmother kind of get situated. And I remember going into the shed and and cleaning out some scrap wood. And as I'm taking the scrap wood out, I'm realizing that it has scratched into the wood Joshua 24, 15. One piece after another, just carved in as this became the heartbeat of my grandfather, and it was the life verse of my grandfather. So today, I would love to talk to you about my grandfather's favorite verse. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to the book of Joshua. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screens, or you can take out your phone or your tablet and go to the Bible app or the Bible Gateway app. Both are great apps for reading the Bible. Um... Or you can take one of the Bibles we have here at Calvary Church. In Southerton, they're in the seat racks in front of you. In Quakertown, they're in the back of the room on some carts when you walk in. Uh, If you didn't get one when you walked in, just raise your hand and usher can bring you one. Or you can just get up and go get one. Uh, But if you don't own a Bible, whether you're in Quakertown or in Southerton, we want you to own it. We want you to take that Bible home. It's our gift to you. It's free. We believe that reading the Bible has the potential to impact your life. And so we want you to have access to it. And if you've never read a Bible before, if you don't know how to do it, Give us a call. We'd be more than happy to walk you through that. But we're going to be reading from Joshua 24, verse 15. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, 
Then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. What we've said in this series so far is that what we want you to do when you're looking at these verses as we're examining these different Bible verses is we want you to ask three questions. We want you to ask what's going on What's being said, and what does it mean? What's going on, what's being said, and what does it mean? And we want you to go in that order, in that progression, because a lot of times what happens is we jump to question number three, and we just kind of look at, well, what does it mean? What does this verse mean to me? And, and unfortunately, at times, we can come to incorrect conclusions. What's going on, what's being said, what does it mean? So what's going on? Well, Joshua assembles the people of Israel in front of him. They get together for this big gathering, and and the people of Israel had come out of a land, the land of Egypt. They had lived in Egypt for years and years, and for most of that time, they had lived as slaves. And they cry out to God to save them, and so God sends them a leader. God sends them a deliverer. He sends them a man named Moses, and Moses leads the people out of Egypt, And he's leading them towards the land that God has promised to his people. But something happens along the way, and Moses cannot lead them into that land. And so Moses passes on the leadership to a young man named Joshua. And Joshua ends up leading the people into the land, and God does an amazing work through Joshua, and they end up conquering the land around them. And so we're nearing the end of the story. Joshua is now an old man. And as we near the end of the story, Joshua gathers all of the people together to recap what has happened. And as he recaps the story of what happens, they discover a pattern of faithfulness throughout their story. And it went something like this. God is faithful. Israel was not faithful. God's still faithful. God is faithful, but Israel turns their back on God over and over again, worshiping idols, worshiping other false gods. And they are not faithful, and then God is still faithful. And what God is faithful to is He's faithful to His promise, He is faithful to His covenant. You see, Joshua assembles the people at a very interesting location. Joshua assembles the people at a place called Shechem. And this is not the first time we have seen this place. In fact, if you would go just a few books backwards and go to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, you will meet a man named Abram. Abram eventually becomes Abraham. He is the patriarch of the Israelites. He is from whom all of the people of Israel come from. And God calls Abram to himself, and he brings Abram to this place. And he tells Abram, look around you. Look around. 
Do you see all this? One day, I'm going to give all of this to your descendants. And the place that God took Abram to was Shechem. And so Joshua assembles the people at Shechem. And here are the Israelites, the offspring of Abraham at Shechem. And they are now on the verge of the fulfillment of God's promise, the fulfillment of God's covenant. And God reminds them of his faithfulness. But in that reminder is also the reminder of the fact that they have not been faithful. And yet God still remains faithful. And here they, are, here they are at the point where it all began and at the point where it will now come to its completion and they are going to enter into the land that God has promised. And they stand there with God being faithful and them having lived lives that were not. So what does God do? He enters into a renewing of the covenant. We almost get a picture of a wedding vow renewal ceremony. Here is God, the faithful one, in front of those who were not faithful. And he gives them the opportunity to enter back into that covenant and a chance again to be faithful. God goes through that whole recap and then Joshua responds, In verse 14, he says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So what's going on? We are at a recap in the story. God has been faithful to his covenant. The people of Israel have not. God remains faithful and brings them to the point where it all began and where his covenant will be fulfilled. And he offers them the opportunity to renew their covenant and a chance to be faithful. That's what's going on. So what's being said? What's being said? And here's where I want to stop for a moment. Because I feel that this verse is oftentimes embraced only in a partial manner. You see, this verse has actually been subjected to an ellipsis. What in the world is an ellipsis? An ellipsis is not biblical, just so you know. It's grammatical. I'm not even sure that's a real word. All you grammar people, don't judge me. What's an ellipsis? Dot, dot, dot. It's the dot, dot, dot at the beginning of a sentence. It's the dot, dot, dot at the end of a sentence. And what does it tell you? When you see an ellipsis, an ellipsis tells you that you are only looking at part of a statement. It still is true. It's still a true statement, but you're not looking at something in its entirety. You're not looking at something completely. 
And this verse is subjected to an ellipsis. You know, it's so amazing that that is so true because as we were prepping for this service and as Olivia, who makes the slides that you see on the screens, was making them, she contacted me by email. She said, hey, I wrote Joshua 24, 15. I'm not sure what you wanted there. I didn't know if you just wanted the part of the verse that everyone knows or if you wanted the whole verse. And what happens in this verse is that it's become just the verse that we say, Joshua 24, 15, what is it? Oh, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And what happens is, is that when we do that and we look at that, not even the full verse, we look at part of the verse in isolation, we make this verse into a family battle cry. We make this verse into the motto of our home. And this is simply a verse about family. And while it's an appropriate response to live out that truth in regards to this verse, while it's an appropriate action to take in regards to this verse, if we simply jump to the end of Joshua 24, 15 without looking at the beginning of it, we miss the fullness of what's being said. And we potentially make this verse into something that it really isn't. You can't get to this declaration without looking at the words that come before it. You see, this verse is about making a choice. It's about making a choice. It's not really about family. In fact, Joshua is not calling on every father to now become a better father. He's actually calling on Israel collectively as a community to make a covenant, to make a covenant between themselves and God and actually between themselves and each other. This we will do as a community. And what he says is, well, regardless of what you decide, I'm living this out in my home. And so while that example is good to be followed and while that is a good example to follow and to live out that truth in your home, This really is a verse that is about a response of allegiance. It's about a response of allegiance. Joshua had just outlined how God had been faithful, and he goes through this whole kind of history of it, saying over and over, God has been faithful, God has been faithful. You weren't faithful, but God is still faithful. And the only appropriate response, the only logical response that Joshua has for them, he says, your response should be to serve the Lord. To serve the Lord. And so he places in front of them a choice. He says, this is the day. Make up your mind. Here's what you need to do. What will you choose? What is your choice? And the choice actually comes into two layers. There's actually two layers. And one of the layers we kind of grasp really quickly and we understand. And we kind of look, okay, yeah, what is the choice here? Okay, it's to serve the Lord. I get that, okay. And that's what kind of Joshua placed his whole statement on uh, for me and my household. And that's what it is. I'm like, okay, the choice is to serve the Lord. I got that. I got that. That's only one part. That's only one part of the choice. Not only do you need to choose to serve the Lord... You need to choose to not serve the other gods. 
It was a two-part choice. It was a two-part choice. Choosing God was a simultaneous act of accepting the Lord and rejecting the other gods. And this is huge because Joshua is calling the people out. He's calling them out on their double-mindedness. Yes, they had served the Lord. Yes, they had claimed the Lord as, as their ruler. But they also served other gods. In reality, the Israelites were living out a polytheistic life. And what that means was that they were serving more than one God. They were serving many gods. They claimed God as their Lord, as their supreme, but they also served other gods. And God is calling them to a monotheistic, poly being many, mono being one. No, I am God. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods. That's what God is calling them to. Not just choosing to serve him, but choosing not to serve the other gods. The great reformer Martin Luther once said that anything one relies on and trusts in may become a god. And what Luther is saying is that if we rely and trust on something or anything for something in our lives, more than we rely on God, then we elevate that thing to the status of deity. And that's pretty intense. And at first glance, it kind of seems like an over-exaggeration, right? Like, okay, let's not get carried away here. Let's examine it for a moment. When it comes to my desires and pursuits, do I truly give final authority to Jesus? Do I truly give final authority to Jesus? When it comes to my pursuit of happiness, my pursuit of worth, my pursuit of anything, I am in a dangerous position if I am placing higher authority in a romantic relationship, in an aspiring career, in anything else. If I am placing authority in those things more than I'm placing authority in Jesus, I'm in a dangerous position. When it comes to my choices in my pursuits, am I considering Jesus in my decisions? Am I obeying Jesus Am I obeying what he says in my pursuit? Has the object of my pursuit become more significant than Jesus? You see, the danger of elevating anything to that point, the danger of elevating anything to the point of where Jesus should be standing alone is that we are no better than the Israelites who struggled with a polytheistic life and serving idols and false gods. We can be completely committed to the lordship of Jesus, yet still rely on and trust in other things with such a commitment and passion that it makes them other gods in our lives. 
And that might seem kind of shocking, and that might be like, uh, you're kind of taking a step far, but if you really examine, if I were to really examine my use of resources, my use of time, my use of my emotions, and if I to examine what I am putting those things in, and the purpose behind my putting them in, I may find that I'm actually serving something else. Working for something else. Even worshiping something else. How much am I really obsessing about something? How much am I really obsessing about something? If it's more important in my life than Jesus, then it shouldn't be in that place. If it's more important in my life than Jesus, it shouldn't be in that position. It doesn't mean it has to be out of your life. It's just in the wrong position. It's in the wrong place. If I can't let go of a relationship, even though I know it's not honoring God, it's in the wrong position. If I sacrifice my ethics and integrity to advance in my career, it's in the wrong position. If I elevate anything to the point where my life reflects it more than my life reflects Jesus, it's in the wrong position. So what's going on? We're at recap in the story. Joshua is in front of the people of Israel and he, and he shows them how God has been faithful And God gives them the opportunity to enter back into the covenant even though they have been unfaithful. What's being said? You have a choice to make. Will you serve the Lord and will you stop serving these other gods? Will you serve the Lord and will you stop serving these other gods? You have a choice. So what does it mean? What does it mean? Serving God, serving Jesus, is exclusive. It's exclusive. When it comes to following Jesus, everything in life needs to be secondary. Following Jesus requires a heart that is exclusively reserved for Jesus alone. In fact, Jesus tells us this, and his words are way more intense than any of the words that Joshua uses. In fact, the words that Jesus says actually rub me the wrong way when I read them. It's one of those passages I'm like, oh, how did this make the cut? How did this make it into the Bible? This is, mm, didn't make my top 10. Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money 
to complete it. What? It's got awkward, Jesus. That's intense, right? I mean, I, I like Jesus' words when he says to love others. Not sure what that's about, Jesus. Bad day, I guess. Oh, that's not what's going on. Jesus isn't calling us to a life of bitterness or resentment to our family members or friends or those we love. He's calling for exclusive allegiance. That nothing else matters, no matter what. Even if it's what's close to you, nothing matters compared to Jesus. And you have to understand who he was talking to. The people of the early church had to embrace this. They would face persecution. They would face jail. They would face death. They would be ostracized from their family. Relationships actually did break because of them choosing to follow Jesus. They could not be double-minded. Because if they were, they would crumble. And while circumstances may be different currently, the cost of discipleship is the same. In order to be a disciple of Jesus, we are called to exclusive allegiance of Jesus. Choosing to follow Jesus is more than simply choosing to go to church. Choosing to follow Jesus is more than choosing to volunteer or do good deeds. It's more than choosing to sing songs on a Sunday. It's more than than choosing to dress a different way or have different friends or any of the different stereotypes we somehow created Christianity to be. Choosing to follow Jesus is about exclusive allegiance to Jesus. Jesus doesn't want to be the add-on to everything in your life. He wants to be the focus of everything in your life. He doesn't want to be an add-on. He wants to be the focus. And if I were to seriously sit down and examine my life, would I truly find that? Would I find that I truly do yield to the Lord in every area of my life, whether it's my finances, whether it's my family, whether it's my ministry, whether it's my life, whatever it is, do I truly yield everything to Jesus? Do I trust him? Do I really trust him with everything? One good sign of whether he's Lord over everything is if I trust him with everything. Do I trust him? Or do I have some sort of reserve list that I hold back? Jesus, you can have all of this, but this, this, this is mine. This, this one, I got this, okay? I mean, I'd let you, but I, you know, it's better let that I take care of this. Uh, you can be in charge of that, but I'm in charge of this. Like, do I have some sort of reserve list that I let Jesus have everything, but not this. Not this, this is mine. Jesus doesn't want some Sunday version of me. Jesus doesn't even want a version of me in my home. 
Jesus doesn't want the version of me that people see in my neighborhood or out in the community. Jesus wants all of me. All of me. So what does it mean to Calvary Church? What does it mean to Calvary Church? It means that we are a church with an allegiance that is exclusive to Jesus. It means that Jesus has all of us. Every bit of us. It means that we will focus on eternal things, not temporal things. It means that we will focus on the values of the kingdom more than our own preferences we value. We will love unconditionally anyone and everyone whom we come in contact with, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's scary, even if it's messy. We will love. It means that we will serve our community sacrificially. Not to point the community to us, but to point them to Jesus. It means that we will speak truth, even if that truth is not popular. It means that we will not impersonate culture, nor will we flee from culture, but we will engage culture with the gospel with the good news of Jesus. Our tastes, our preferences, our personal desires, our everything is secondary to the advancement of God's kingdom. So nothing better ever get in the way of Calvary Church continuing what Jesus started. Because we will be a community of disciples that go out into the world and make disciples. Because if we don't live out that mission, if we don't live out the mission of the kingdom, if we don't obey Jesus' commands, if we don't continue what Jesus started, we are no better than a social club. And I want no part of a social club. I refuse to be part of a social club. I refuse to be concerned about my own preferences, my own comfort, my own status, more than I am concerned about people who need to know Jesus. I refuse. The focus of Calvary Church is not us, it's Jesus. I am not part of a social club. I am part of the body of Christ. I am part of the church, a community of disciples who continue what Jesus started. But if this seems undesirable to you today,
Then choose this day whom you will serve. The gods of preference, the gods of comfort, the gods of self, the gods of whatever. But you need to know one thing. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, what you ask us to do is not small. What you ask us to do when you call us to be your disciples is not something that should be entered into lightly or or done without counting the cost. You ask us to serve you with a heart that is exclusively yours. I ask for your forgiveness for the many times that I put other things in your place where I put my own safety in your place, where I put even control over, over what's going on in my life in your place, where I put myself in your place, I ask for that forgiveness. Give us the boldness and the courage to live out this mission. Lord, let Calvary Church be a church that is so consumed with the desire for Jesus and so consumed with the desire for people to know Jesus that nothing else matters. Lord, I ask you that you would go in front of us and that you would just claim lives for your own. That you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and give us the power to do what you put in front of us. Lord, that you would help us to not only choose you, but choose to reject any other gods in our lives. Give us the strength, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.